Welcome to Sources, a podcast of Kena Academy. I'm Andrew Zorneman, your host. In this episode, we take a look at a recent development in the classical education movement, the emergence of a competitor to the SAT and ACT. It's called the Classic Learning Test, or CLT, and it is definitely a development our audience will want to keep an eye on. I recently traveled to Annapolis, Maryland, where the Classic Learning Test is headquartered and had a chance to interview Jeremy Tate, CLT's founder and president. I hope you enjoy this episode of Sources. Jeremy Tate, thanks for having me here at the Classic Learning Test uh, headquarters here in Annapolis, Maryland. Andrew, thanks for coming out today. We're thrilled to have you and and grateful for the work you've been doing for decades now for the classical renewal movement. Thanks. It's it's a real honor. And it's great to see uh, somebody in the next generation down uh, coming up (laughs) and doing some really important and difficult work. And uh, you're a real trailblazer. I'm so uh, in admiration of what you're doing. How did you arrive at the idea of the classic learning test? Yeah, thank you. Back in uh, 2015, I was running a small SAT prep company, and I was also working as a college counselor at a small Christian school. And at the time, College Board announced they were going to be revamping the SAT, going back down to the familiar 1,600-point scale that we all grew up with. Uh, But they were also uh, aligning with the Common Core standards. And the school that I was at had taken a long, hard look at Common Core had rejected it primarily because of the bias against fiction, classics, religious text, and uh, and some of the goofiness on the on the math side as well, and uh, and so there was a demand for a third option. And uh, my my goal originally was actually to create the prep uh, class, an online prep course for uh, the new alternative to the SAT and ACT. And in the, in the course of researching, got lucky and realized, wow, nobody's actually making the test, and so. Uh, connected with some really brilliant uh, Harvard and Princeton alums to create a pilot test and started submitting that to colleges. And I think that there was a, a pent-up demand for some time you know, wanting a third option that better reflected the freshman year coursework at a lot of the, the best colleges in the U.S., but also uh, these new schools um, that are now putting out just incredible uh, young men and women into our colleges and universities. That's tremendous. What a, what a great idea. And, uh, you know, you mentioned one particular problem that um, people who are dedicated to liberal arts or classical education run into, and that is the emergence of the Common Core standards. Do you yeah. think that is uh, an aberration from the SAT tradition, or do you think it's kind of part and parcel of, um, of a vision of education that needs to be confronted, needs an alternative, a serious yeah. competitor? That's a, that's a great question. Uh, I'd say an aberration for sure. SAT, the old SAT test was pretty close to a pure aptitude test. Uh, the, the downside of aptitude, you could say, is that it's measuring intellectual capacity, something a, a student can't really prep for very well. The benefit of an aptitude test, of course, is that it doesn't favor any curriculum over any other curriculum. It defers to the curricular diversity that we've always had, and that's what made the old SAT good. Um, Most people don't realize that the new SAT looks nothing like the old SAT at all. There's not a single analogy on the SAT anymore. There's no logic questions. For most of the math, you can use a calculator as much as you want. And, um, and so really what happened was, you know, ACT came into this arena back in 1959, space race period, uh, wanted to be math and science heavy. And they said, no, it shouldn't be an, it should not be an aptitude test that we're giving kids. It should be an achievement test based on what they've mastered in the classroom. 
And for 40, 50 years, ACT hammered away at this message, aptitude testing isn't fair, it isn't fair, it isn't fair. The point that College Board caves in, uh, they they rebrand, they redesign the SAT a number of times, and each time moving further and further away from aptitude testing and further towards achievement testing to the point where in 2015, the CEO, David Coleman, who formerly, before he came to College Board, was the grand wizard of the Common Core Standards, um, he said that the new SAT has removed every last trace of aptitude testing, that it's, an, it's a high school achievement test based on the Common Core standards. So it is a 180. They've kept the name, but it's a different product entirely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so for our listeners, what, what's the, the, what are the chief downsides to a test um, that is achievement-based and what are the chief upsides to a test that's uh, aptitude-based? That's, that's a good question. Uh, so achievement-based testing, the downsides is that it's easy to game. It's a lot. Whoever has the most money for prep is going to get end up getting the best score. Uh, an aptitude test is much harder to game. Uh, learning how to do analogies can help a bit, but at the end of the day, you're, you're connecting ideas, which is a great way to uh, get some real insight into the intellectual capacity uh, of a student. The other downside uh, of, of achievement testing is that it inherently has to favor a particular set of academic standards or curriculum. And in the case of, of College Board, and it's, it's a pretty dirty story what actually happened, uh, starting in 2010 when a lot of colleges started to go t- test optional in wake of the, uh, the big 2008 recession, a lot of great schools are kind of hungry for applicants and they viewed SAT and ACT as a barrier, so they went test optional. SAT and ACT got alarmed that they were going to you know, lose their market, and so what they started doing was working with the state legislatures to pass legislation requiring every public school student to take an SAT or ACT as a graduation requirement. And at that point, the best way for them to position themselves, for them to do battle between each other over the big state contracts, was by aligning with the Common Core standards, which is really, at the end of the day, the reason they align with Common Core is fundamentally uh, about money, which means... At this point, apart from CLT, we're left with two Common Core-based achievement tests. Mm-hmm. And right now, how competitive is the test with the old regime, the SAT and the ACT? <laughs> I wish more. You know, we when we launched, we were told there's you know we had no chance uh, at all of breaking into an industry that was really owned by two giants. Uh, I think that SAT and ACT have put the bar so low, though, in terms of both content and student experience, mm-hmm. um, that there have been a lot of people who have been willing to get behind what we're doing. And I think also people like yourself who I look at some of the um, people who have been making classical education go mainstream since the 1980s. And I think it's only at a point now where there'd be a, a large enough movement for something like the CLT. So we, in many ways, feel like the, the kind of the guilty beneficiaries of the work that so many others have done to pave the really hard trail um, where we can say, you know what, we're at a point now where a student who has a classical academic formation, maybe they're homeschooled, maybe they left the public school arena because of Common Core, why would they then have to be evaluated by a Common Core test, which one, would be unfair, but two, it doesn't allow them to really showcase their academic ability because it's the, these tests are completely devoid of, of most of the source material that these students interact with on a daily basis. Well, on, on behalf of everyone uh, who belongs to the Old Timers Club, and I, I'm one of them. Uh, first of all, we forgive you and uh, we say you're welcome, but and we say go get them. All right, you're, you're doing uh, you're doing really good work here. Um, is there? Uh, this may seem like an obvious. A spinoff from what you just explained, but is there any sense in which the the classic learning test is more useful to colleges, 
precisely because it's it's aptitude based as opposed to achievement based. You know, without a doubt, and, and with, uh, with with little regard to, to being PC, uh, tell you just something. One of the the VPs of enrollment who I'm close with said, and he said, you know, the reason we love to recruit CLT test takers um, is not because of the score that they get, uh, but it's because of the kind of kid they tend to be on campus. These are students that come to campus, they participate in class, they lead discussions, they tend to not get arrested and do bad things like getting drunk on the lawn and, and all of the kind of nonsense. Mm-hmm. Um, so the test itself has served as a, a kind of a filter for really great kids that are coming from great uh classical Christian schools, Catholic schools, home schools. I think because of that, there's been enormous value on the college side that they're seeing already uh, as a recruiting tool in addition to what we're able to to show. There's that, and then there's this also this strange thing. If you ever look at the CLT concordance chart, how we stack up against how these scores mm-hmm. translate, you notice that a CLT, a 116 or higher, uh, is off the charts uh, compared to an SAT or an ACT. And uh, we've been, you know, we talk a lot about grade inflation, especially in, in the public and p- private school arenas. But test score inflation is a bigger problem than grade inflation. When I was in high school in the late 90s, a dozen students maybe per year were getting perfects on the SAT. Now it's maybe 1,500. Uh, it's a, the, the point now where when CLT had a chance to sit down with uh, Princeton University, they said, look, half of our applicants have over a 1,540 on the 1600 scale, meaning that the test itself isn't even doing its job, which isn't that glorious. It's just differentiating among great students so, so people in the admissions office can do their job well. College Board, their solution to test score inflation was to roll out a million different SAT subject tests. Say, hey, now you can give up even more Saturdays to go take all of these subject tests. CLT solution is, no, you could just have a test that's a little bit harder and can, can uh, differenti- differentiate students at the top a little better. Uh, going back um, a minute or so, you said a 116 on the CLT, the classic learning test, is off the charts. So can you, just for a, a little bit, explain to our listeners uh, what what the matrix is or you know, what's the highest score you can get on the CLT? And when you say it's yeah. off the charts, I think you're, you're uh, inferring a comparison to performance. Uh, comparative performance on an SAT score. Is that right? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So, so cltexam.com, there's a drop down for the, the SAT versus ACT versus CLT that'll show you how these scores all stack up. Um, and so it does not work though that a 120 on the CLT, which would be perfect, and no student yet has, has got that. The top score to date is a 118. Um, it, it does not mean that a 120 equals a 36 equals a 1600. It is true that a 36 equals a 1600, um, but you have to go down to a 114 before those scores would equate. And even for the students right now, and I believe we're at about 15 students who have had either a 36 or a 1600 who have taken the CLT, and collectively they average around a 114. Uh, and so it truly is a more rigorous assessment. We think with that, we want to be reflective of um, this renewal movement of classical education as a, a standard that is not less rigorous but is more rigorous than uh, what the educational establishment is selling. Mm. Now, um, in reading your materials, it strikes me that the use of the word classic Mm. is somewhat different 
than the use that you see in the classical education movement, in the liberal arts education movement. It, it strikes me that classic use by CLT is, is generous or it's liberal, it's broader. Yeah. Is that a fair description? I, I'm so glad that you asked that question because the, the number of conversations we have with you know, maybe a homeschool parent who calls says, I love what you're doing, but I didn't give my son or daughter a classical academic formation. What we're, what we're saying is that CLT wants to be very broad and saying that if you're if, if the, the 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 philosophy of education you subscribe to is essentially in line with Chesterton, it's a passing down of an intellectual inheritance from one generation to the next, meaning that you're putting your your sons your daughters in front of great source material from previous generation that you want them to become fluent with. There's no Latin on the CLT. I think some of my friends that are in a, you know super hyper classical space have joked around and called CLT classical light, which is fine. We're okay being called classical light. We didn't want to create a test that only students with a classical academic formation could take, but we also recognize that these tests are extremely powerful in driving mainstream curriculum nationwide. Um, Whenever I get a chance to present to a college, I always start off with this hypothetical of saying, okay, if the SAT and ACT required students to demonstrate some fluency with philosophy, classical literature, you know, religious text, um, if that's what the SAT and ACT were, what would the impact be of curriculum nationwide? And we usually if somebody pauses to really think about that for a minute, they go, wow, it would be totally different. Overnight, it would be totally different. But instead, because there is no philosophy, there is no classical literature, there are no religious texts at all, College Board especially literally censors any theistic or Christian author. Uh, because of that, these are not getting taught in the classroom as well. And we're losing even the ability, I think, at this point to understand basic documents like the Constitution because uh, apart from understanding a Christian worldview, it's very hard to enter into what the framers were doing with with things like checks and balances and separation of powers. And some of the texts... So for our viewers, um, I just want to say that I found it really interesting to go through the uh, practice tests, and I found that questions were asked about uh, both uh, ancient and early modern and 20th century texts. So it's, yeah. I, I think it would be fair to say that you're, that the texts are not just classics, they're also modern classics. Like sometimes when we say classic texts, yeah. you know, the first thing our mind goes to is towards the, the, the realm of classics, that is uh, Greek and uh, Roman or Greek and Latin literature. But yeah. it seems like your use of classic covers a really broad range of important texts, fictional and non-fictional, that a student would do well to study. Yeah, and I think the the word, and it's not because um, it's interesting what the word classical means to some people. You know, we've talked to, to many people over the past three and a half years since launching. When you say the word classical, they immediately think upper class Caucasian uh, going to you know Harvard. You know that that's what they think. I think what CLT wants to go back to is enduring texts that are worthy of a student's attention, mm-hmm. worthy of a student's time. And you look at some of the silly texts that are on an SAT or ACT, mm-hmm. saying, "Well, this is the most important test you're ever going to take." And you're reading about the naked mole rat and the penguins in Antarctica. There's nothing uh, truly, and I think that's our biggest criticism of SAT and ACT. They're just painfully boring tests because they're not drawing on anything that's going to have any relevance a couple years from now. Mm-hmm. Very good. Um, I, just to kind of turn this around, we, we've been talking about the uh, test, the CLT's usefulness to colleges. Let's talk a little bit about its appeal to families. I can imagine there's a cultural appeal, and you've already spoken to it, uh, spoken yeah. to it in some regard, a cultural appeal to families and schools that already value classics and modern classics. 
Is there a distinct competitive edge precisely because the test is built around classics that families can recognize? They say, oh, yeah, you know, actually, uh, I know that, that Jeremy Oye speaks well about how colleges find it more useful, but in, in a sense, preparing for the test because you're focusing on classics, uh, taking the test, you know, and showing your chops yeah. as a reader of classics, does that give a student a competitive edge, a family kind of encouragement about their child's prospects for college? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. I think the uh, the competitive edge comes in at, at a different part than, than um, I think sometimes parents may think. A student who's had a great classical formation, they're going to do great on the SAT and ACT. Even though those tests are public school designed, common core based achievement tests, CLT has never, has never second guessed uh, the ability of a classical educated student to do well on those tests, even though they're certainly not designed for them. What we are saying, though, is that to really showcase the academic uh, ability of these students, you know, on the CLT, you're going to be reading 17th century philosophy. You're going to be reading um, religious texts that a public school student is probably never exposed to. And to be able to kind of demonstrate to colleges your ability to interact with those texts, I think that's where the competitive edge uh, really shows up. Yeah. yeah. I love the list of um, authors that you include in, you know, the range from, uh, Plato and Aristotle, or even before then, uh, uh, Sophocles and uh, Thucydides, and it runs all the way through uh, 20th century authors, 21st century. I think Michael Novak might be the, the latest author on the list. Yes, I think so. Yeah, so it was really very interesting. Yeah. Um, for our viewers, or our listeners, I should say, uh, it would be great if we were filming this uh, for YouTube or something, but this is uh, going to be a podcast. Well, for our listeners, uh, lay out for us the the mandatory uh, generic test descriptions. Like, you know, what test does a student have to take when he takes the uh, CLT? Yeah, so the CLT is a simple breakdown. Uh, the, the, kind of the name of the game has been simplicity from the beginning for us. So there's 120 questions, 120 points of simple divide of 40 verbal questions, 40 grammar writing, and then 40, 40 quantitative reasoning. Mm-hmm. Uh, within the verbal uh, reasoning section, the big difference is that we've actually brought analogies back. Again, they're not on the SAT at all. 20% of the verbal reasoning is all is, uh, is analogies. Um, mechanically, the grammar writing is where we're most similar to the current SAT. Uh, and the math, we've reintroduced some of the logic questions that don't fall easily into an Algebra 1, Algebra 2, Geometry. Um, and then uh, and there's also, there's no calculator, which does not have had the number of conversations we've had with parents over the past three years that are begging to say, why can we not use a calculator? Um, what we heard from the colleges early on is that when SAT added the calculator in 1994, it created a, a whole generation of students who are dependent on a device. And um, it seemed like the most responsible thing CLT could do was to get away from it altogether. Mm-hmm. Very good. Now, the writing component is optional, right? The writing component is optional. I love what we've done with the writing. This really came out of the, the CLT uh, 2018 Higher Ed Summit, where we, we defer a lot of the questions we make to our board of academic advisors instead of wanting to be the experts ourselves on everything. And one of the problems we've had, especially at top universities, is that the essay um, admissions folk trust the essay less and less because they know that students can have it copy edited over and over and you know high paid tutors can essentially write the essay for them. Um, what CLT has done is we've, we've given an optional essay that students write the response in a proctored environment. Um, there's no spell check even when they write it. And uh, what it does is it, give college, it gives colleges an authentic writing sample that they can really, really rely on. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that, that's been uh, one of the most exciting things I think we've rolled out this year. Mm-hmm. So wh- why is it optional? It seems to me that 
when we think about liberal arts or classical education, writing is one of the core essential skills. And yeah. it seems also that one of the best ways that a, a young person could demonstrate um, aptitude uh, is to, to, to look at um, a, a, a sample of a classic text and then demonstrate, yeah, I can explain that to to the university. I can explain that to the, the testers, and, and in turn, my score will demonstrate to a college or university that I've got some writing chops. I mean, it seems like yeah. rhetorically that that is more of a a demonstration than a multiple choice test. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. and that, that's something we were uh, highly considering, and then primarily because of student accommodations, we decided to make it optional. And so, mm-hmm. um, three to five percent or so of CLT test takers have either uh, time and a half or double time accommodations. And we are at this point meeting almost every uh, need for students with unique learning uh, disabilities and um, requiring the essay component made that comp- is kind of the main reason we opted not to do that. Okay. Um, can you uh, summarize the, the feedback that you've gotten from uh, colleges? In other words, uh, you've spoken quite uh, quite clearly and really wonderfully about what you see are the advantages and you've gotten some, you mentioned some anecdotal feedback, but can you summarize kind of your statistical feedback from the colleges that have bought in? Yeah, I think for, for some schools and, and uh, I, I go back to Hillsdale a lot. Hillsdale put us through the ringer with a really brutal vetting process. It went on for about nine months. It was this dark cloud that I feel like I lived under back in 2017. But when they, they finally adopted, they endorsed CLT as a, a, as a superior assessment over the SAT and the ACT. Uh, from that point on, um, colleges started kind of coming to us. They were actually the 36th college and now we're up to 153. Um, what we're hearing from colleges consistently, though, is that CLT has become a, a pipeline to great students. And, um, you know, 20 years ago, colleges really weren't sure what to do, especially with homeschool students. There weren't a ton of them. Um, it was new. It was outside the box. You know, we remember kind of the stereotypical homeschool family from like the 1980s where, you know, there's there's 15 kids and, and they get that kind of that, that image in the neighborhood. Um, that has been homeschool students are now one of the most, if not the most highly uh, recruited demographics of any student group in the country. Uh, they're students who um, their the maturity level is often well above a lot of their, their public school peers. Uh, they're standouts on campus. They tend to get involved in everything. Their retention rate is extremely high. And um, CLT, I think, at this point can make a pretty strong case that we're the very best place to connect with homeschool students. Mm-hmm. Great. How many students took the test, the, the CLT, um, in 2018? The, so the 2018-2019 academic year will end up right around 21,000. Okay, great. And how many do you forecast will take in 2019-2020? The goal would be in the 35 to 50,000 range. 30, th- say 35,000? 35 to 50,000. And so that's three assessments. That's actually the CLT 8, which is designed for 7th and 8th grade students. Yeah. Uh, the CLT 10, which is designed for 9th and 10th. And then the CLT itself, which is for 11th and 12th grade. And how many, how, how about, say, in five years' time? What's your, uh, I don't know if you have a five-year uh, yeah. forecast, but, you know, if you got a, a statistical chart going where it says, aha, these numbers are heading towards... You know, X point. What, what's that X point? This is, Andrew, my, my very favorite question. The reason I get so excited about it, some of the, the experts that we've talked to said that if CLT 
can get up to around 100,000 students, then it makes it almost impossible for any college to kind of sit on the bench. Yeah. And the reason for that is that an enrollment, uh, a, a, a college entrance exam is inherently an enrollment engine as well for colleges. SAT and ACT, absolutely, they use these tests as evaluative tools, but they are enrollment engines just as much, if not more so. And so right now, 22% of our students only ever take CLT, which means that colleges are already realizing, wait a second, if we're not adding CLT as an option, there's no way we're getting these 22% of these students who are only taking CLT, not to mention about 85% of our students are now matriculating to a CLT partner college. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, 153 colleges in, I think that we're you know, getting probably towards the end of really missionally aligned colleges who love the humanities yeah, yeah. And, and share our vision of education. But what we get excited about is when colleges uh, simply need to adopt because, um, CLT has, has grown up into that point, uh, which is exciting. We, we hope that with that, we can kind of broad, uh, broadcast on a, on a broader platform um, this exciting renewal movement mm-hmm. in education. So one of the, it seems to me, one of the difficult, greatest difficult challenges that you face is, is the decline of the humanities in universities. So mm-hmm. it's in free fall. Yep. Uh, Victor Davis Hanson and his colleagues wrote a collection of essays and founded under the name of the Bonfire of the Humanities, right? <laughs> yeah. That'll play on the title of uh, Tom Wolfe's novel. But, you know, and they say that students are not learning how to, uh, university students are not learning how to read closely uh, great works. They're not learning how to discuss intelligently. Uh, discussion, so-called, or debates have devolved into Donny Brooks and to, yep. you know, ideological lines in the sand and denouncements and so forth. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they're not learning uh, how to write clearly. Yeah. So, uh, and, and where students are in humanities classes, it's been taken over by critical theory in large part. So that yeah. everything becomes a text and every text becomes a, a conflict of, uh, you know, a, an expression of struggle between genders, classes, and races. Yep. So, you know, it's a tough time. It's really miserably tough in terms of humanities. So talk about a dark cloud, you know, is, uh, is that, do you see that as insuperable or do you see that as just... Uh, part of the landscape and, and, and the numbers don't lie. Like those numbers are going to continue to climb in spite of the bonfire. Yeah. I think that the, the real humanities and in in the actual liberal arts are thriving. Um, the number of colleges that offer a serious liberal arts uh, at this point is pretty few and far between. But the few that do, when you look at Hillsdale, how many liberal arts colleges have gone from a 50% acceptance rate down to a 36% acceptance rate in the past three or four years? Um, Thomas Aquinas opening a new campus in New England. St. John's College, you know, record growth in enrollment. Um, there are few places that that students and parents can go to get a really serious liberal arts uh, academic formation at this point. I think the colleges right now that are calling themselves liberal arts colleges mm-hmm. and they're offering exactly what you just described. A lot of them are going to close, and a lot of them deserve to close. Um, I think employers, big business, uh, a lot of the leaders of industry from Mark Cuban to the late Steve Jobs uh, have been crystal clear about the value of the humanities. I always love the Steve Jobs quote where he says, technology alone is not enough. It will never be enough. It is technology married with the humanities, married with the liberal arts that alone can make the heart sing. Um, I think so long as we have a free market in America, um, I think that there's going to be a really, really bright future uh, for the liberal arts and for the humanities, even though I don't think 
there's going to be a bright future for the colleges that have uh, traded what we used to call the humanities for something much less. So you have about 153 colleges taking using the test right now, and um, how bright is that future? So g- give me a number for 2020, 2025. For by then, colleges, by the way, yeah. by then you'll no longer be part of the young generation. <laughs> you'll be, you'll be, uh, you will have displaced mind. Yeah, so. Andrew, I appreciate that. I'm, I'm really biting my tongue for for kind of how you know what to say. There are some some big name colleges right now that are doing a, a serious um, investigation of the CLT mm-hmm. beginning this summer into the, the 2019-2020 academic year. Um, it's, a, it's kind of a copycat industry, and so I think if a couple of them adopt, uh, it'll, it'll mean mass adoption pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think apart from that, I think the future is probably pretty uncertain, I think, but, but so far I think that these colleges – um, they're already in, interacting with a lot of the members uh, from our board of academic advisors. These secondary schools um, are increasingly on their radar. You know, they, these colleges send their admission reps into into schools like like Veritas in Richmond, uh, Geneva School in Orlando, Ambrose in Boise, Idaho, and uh, they, these are different schools with different kinds of students. And um, colleges love to get um, get students to uh, to matriculate from them. As uh, as we're wrapping it up here, could you uh, tell our listeners if, if it's a family or if it's a college or if it's a leader of a uh, say a, a classical school and academy, yeah. how can they get in contact with uh, Classic Learning Tests and your team? Yeah, I appreciate that, Andrew. Um, we we always say in house uh, every day. We say this: it is our goal as a company to be the uh, the Chick Fil A of standardized testing. Um, if you call CLT, you will talk to an actual person, and uh, you will not get transferred around. Our goal is to not ever have to transfer anybody ever. Um, so we want to beat College Board and ACT not just in terms of better content on a test, uh, better user experience, but really better customer service as well. So um, please do please call us. Um, you can email us at info at cltexam.com and um, those are probably the best ways but again Andrew I am uh, personally uh, indebted to you and so many of the leaders that have been uh, slugging away for uh, you know for for decades to make the uh, this renewal movement uh, where it is at now uh, where I think something kind of like CLT would, would almost be inevitable. So thanks for the work you continue to do. Oh, well, thanks. That's, that's really encouraging. I've, I've written twice in public about uh, the SAT and about uh, Common Core. I'm really encouraged by um, the classic learning test. I love what you guys are doing because uh, in a very practical uh, but potentially life-changing way, uh, mm-hmm. the test opens doors and it does so in a very humane way because it encourages the students and their families and their schools to reach into the rich inheritance that we have. So uh, to read uh, texts that open up the world, that um, fictional tasks, tasks that or fictional texts that make us feel what we ought to feel and um, expository works that make us think about the things we ought to think about. You know, we need more of that, and, and the test is uh, definitely a player. So I wish you guys well. I want to remind our, our listeners that you can reach uh, Jeremy Tate and his team at info at clt.com. Uh, it's a great test. Uh, it's going places, and it's part of a uh, much-needed renewal of our national culture. So congratulations. Thanks so much, Keep Andrew. up the great work. Thanks for, thanks for being out here. Yeah, thanks for hosting me today. Thanks. 
Thanks, everyone, for listening to this episode. Sources is a production of the Cana Academy Broadcast Network. Our editor and producer is Helen DeSelswerneman. We have more great episodes on our website, and new ones are arriving soon. So please join us again and bring your family and friends. I'm Andrew Zorneman, your host. I look forward to meeting you again on Sources. <laughs>